As a marketer, you are facing constant new challenges, and I am sure that sometimes it feels impossible to stay ahead of the curve. That's why you should listen to the podcast, Building Better CMOs. It's a podcast about the challenges marketers face and what you can do to make your marketing stronger and smarter. You'll get fresh insights from the marketing minds behind Heineken, Colgate, CVS, FanDuel, AT&T, and dozens more. So follow Building Better CMOs wherever you get your podcasts or go to bettercmos.com. Welcome to the five things this week in social. We're the Webby award-winning podcast that looks at the five biggest stories in social, connections, data, content, and tech to give you something smart to say when someone asks you, what's been going on in the world? I've been living under a rock. Instead of just, you have? Are you okay? If you're a marketer, an advertiser, or a creator, or just anyone who makes a living using social platforms, or you just really love podcasts about social media, this is the show for you. Today on the pod, we have some consummate five things contributors with us. Firstly, it's senior strategist, Alex Black. Hello, Alex. Hi, Daniel. Nice to be back with you. And you're a host today. Really, really getting the upgrade. I'm hosting today. We'll give a little bit of background as to why in a little bit. But I do want to ask you a question. I've been resisting to ask this question of myself and of others because it acknowledges something. But Alex, what are you most looking forward to for fall? Now I'm so excited to hear your answer, Daniel. But I would say that I am most excited for Prospect Park in the fall, really seeing all the leaves change, getting to still do some arts and crafts in the nice weather, still get some farmer's markets in there, but excited for for the feeling of it. Amazing. I'm curious to see if those arts and crafts will feature some of these fallen leaves, but we'll see, I suppose, whenever it comes the time. All right. And we're also welcoming back to the pod, social media manager at Tank. It's Natalie McGee. Hi, Natalie. Welcome back. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Alex. Hi, everyone. So saying it twice means I am, in fact, acknowledging that fall is fast approaching, summer is ending. Natalie, same question for you. What are you looking forward to this fall? Great question. This is kind of a boring answer, but I'm just ready for the weather to change. Like, I want that little little crisp in the air. I'm excited for it. Amazing. My thing, Alex, just for your information, is about the changing weather. But before that, I will introduce myself. I am Daniel Avon, stepping in for Joey Scarillo, whose dulcet tones you are used to hearing on this podcast as host. Um, He is repping Gray Podcasts at Podcast Movement. You may have seen or heard him there. And if you did, we are all eternally jealous because we do miss Joey dearly, but he'll be back when the podcast is back in a few weeks. And this fall, I am looking forward to with the changing of weather, wearing light jackets again. It's an undervalued staple in my wardrobe. There is a very specific window you can wear it under, but I have quite a few new jackets in store that I am very excited to bring out into the world. And speaking of what we have in store and acknowledging the end of summer, we are bringing you a special edition of The Five Things this week. Instead of recapping the week, we are recapping the top five things, in our opinion, that happened this summer in social. So here we go. First, Alex tells us how social platforms are bringing text back. Next, Natalie talks us through the social concert series that was, or how major concerts made their way to social media in a major way. 
Then Alex gives us an update on AI. Is it all grown up? We'll find out. Next, Natalie takes us through the viral marvel that was Barbenheimer. And lastly, Alex brings us home with a cage match that may or may not be Musk versus Zuck. Okay, we've apparently lived through a lot this summer, so let's get started in reminiscing. Alex, please take us back to all these social platforms bringing text back. What a summer it's been for texting. And I really wish that it was Nelly responding to Kelly Rowland over Excel. But we'll, we'll talk about some social platforms first. <laughs> so obviously, we are all very aware of the turmoil of Twitter to X and everything around with Musk, who we'll talk about a little bit more later. But also the big move of Instagram in releasing threads, which is the um, not copycat, but answer to Twitter and X in these unprecedented times. And then TikTok text also came out recently. So what the big question of is text back leads to a few points. So with the reconstruction for Twitter into X and people still using the platform pretty regularly, as well as seeing threads boom pretty much from day one, we can see that those text-based tweets or posts are still very top of mind. So in terms of user behavior, it shows that although we see report after report, that image and video is the way to captivate people, we're still on par of keeping up with texts. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm a big stream of consciousness person and being able to just text it out or see other people write it out has always been really helpful versus just the endless scroll. Got it. So opinion, Alex, text is here to stay. I'm curious, Natalie, do you think that text is truly here to stay? You know, Alex mentioned threads, which we know usership went way, way up and is on the way down. But Meta is doing what they can to keep people or bring people back to platform. TikTok re-released this text feature. Do you think that this is just a passing phase, this copycat trend? Or do you think that this is something that is, is going to take off or we can envision more platforms to introduce more text features? I would agree with Alex that like we need that text-based platform, right? Like I think that's a form of, of content that people will continue to consume. So whether Threads ends up having kind of an uptick again or, or not, I think we'll still see a need for a home for that text-based content. Cool. So let's go from text to another thing that was kind of unavoidable or something you couldn't help but seeing, which is the power that was Taylor Swift and Beyonce this summer in concerts. And if you weren't lucky enough to get a ticket to go, you surely saw what happened online if you are in fact online. So Natalie, talk to us a little bit about this social concert series. Yeah, absolutely. So this summer, we were blessed with with two icons taking the stage internationally. Subsequently, Daniel, like you mentioned, able to enjoy kind of the social outpour from these events. Taylor's eras and Beyonce's Renaissance tours have seen an incredible amount of social activity surrounding the concerts, really serving to remind us of the power that a strong brand narrative has on its audience. Arguably, this has been the summer of UGC with content surrounding the two tours. We saw users take to TikTok, Instagram, and beyond to share outfit ideas and in-concert reactions to the stars and what they plan to play. 
Hashtag Eras Tour racked up over 13 billion views on TikTok. Users use this to share what Taylor quote quote era attendees were representing at their concerts, surprise Swift songs performed, and the passing of, of friendship bracelets that became kind of a, a ritual that took place at the concerts. Beyonce's Renaissance Tour sparked social conversation around the Everybody on Mute Challenge, taking place at each city with discussion on social around who best remained silent during Beyonce's performance of Energy. And ultimately, Atlanta was crowned the winner. Shout out, Atlanta. One of my favorite social trends to come out of this like summer of concerts was the recreation of Blue Ivy Carter's choreography and the overall celebration of her surprise appearance during different legs of the tour. As previously mentioned, a major takeaway from the social buzz of these events is the strength of a strong and ownable brand narrative. And albeit obvious, if you give people something to talk about, they'll talk about it. If you can give audiences something that they can make personal, as we saw with these outfit ideas and citywide challenges, the reaction on social will be that much larger. Amazing. My favorite was the five-minute supercut of all the European cities failing at everybody on mute. But I do have a, like kind of a broader question, Alex, for you. So knowing the virality and success Taylor and Beyonce's concerts have allowed, how do you think this is going to impact maybe Summer Concert Series 2024? How other artists will approach this? Or maybe even just thinking about events more broadly in the future, how this opportunity, as Natalie called it, for UGC really made these events like pretty viral. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a lot of lessons to be learned both for artists and for brands. And that is to really reveal the little things that make people tick. So the mute challenge was a little thing that Beyonce was able to pick up and then make a larger thing. Even for Taylor, she is known for her Easter eggs. She brought that to life during her concerts. So to be able to tap into what your fans care about, as well as what brands are good at, those those are all things that we've kind of started with different challenges and different ways to kind of play back or do call and response. So we'll definitely see a lot more of those little opportune moments that specifically come from either them as artists and what they want to point out within their own art and music or with what their fans naturally gravitate toward that they can explode in the IRL sphere. I just hope that we don't see Olivia Rodrigo vampire challenge and just a conversion of a bunch of people into vampires next summer. Just kidding. It's spooky season, Daniel. (laughs) (laughs) It's spooky season. So... Thinking about what makes people tick, let's move on to what makes machines tick in some capacity. AI is a thing that is happening in the world. And Alex, I would love for you to kind of give us an update. We've talked about it over the course of the launch of these generative AI platforms on this podcast for almost the past year. What's the state? Is it grown up? What's going on? Are any of us ever grown up? (laughs) No, but to your point, this has been a really big evolving conversation and reality over the last year that's gotten a lot of heat this summer. So seeing the boom of platforms that have totally reshaped how everyday people are gathering information, therefore creates us to have to make more ways as advertisers from working on briefs and executions to everything that creatives will do to the way that we're even trying to entice people to come in. We've seen a major boom of platforms that have totally reshaped how everyday people are gathering information, which means that we have to react to that both as people and as advertisers. So what we talk a lot about at Gray is how we can use it as a tool and for examples versus solutions that could maybe overtake the industry. And for us, that has a lot to do with briefs where for strategy, we're not always going to make that 
the brief and what we find from chat GPT, but rather insights into making our insights stronger or for creative looking at platforms like Midjourney that give a lot of visuals as inspiration and as examples rather than the full execution. So with that, we are also learning how careful we have to be (laughs) of going too deep and promoting in a way that could be tone deaf. For example, a certain jeans and denim brand earlier in the year used AI models to promote diversity. However, that in turn actually diminished diversity because they were not hiring real models. They were not hiring real people. And so that type of backfire is a really good example of how we as advertisers using AI can kind of go the wrong direction. But AI is absolutely getting smarter, but it is not grown up by any means. And I would imagine as well with some of the legislation that's happening around it to get pay in check, who are we paying for what? And not to mention what you had just talked about of like, if AI replaces models, but it's intended to do something, it's a huge watch out for brands just to make sure that they're kind of like trailing the logic all the way through. So I'm wondering, Natalie, how much do you think AI has successfully worked its way into the way that we do work nowadays? Alex gave a few examples from strategy to creative and so forth, but I'm just curious from from your perspective, what you've seen and where there might be room for more, if at all. I think as Alex mentioned, we're seeing a really positive impact in aggregating information, like initial stages of planning for a campaign. But I believe like, you know, it's it's tough for it to go beyond that. I think it's an amazing hub and resource for information. But we do get into kind of murky waters and a little bit of a tricky zone when it extends beyond that. So we've also seen some brands, you know, potentially activating this in, in really positive and, and unique ways. We'll see what the future holds and if AI is ever part of kind of like the comprehensive full experience. But right now, I think it's a really great source of information and resource to leverage when leveraged properly. Totally. And if AI ever gets a hold of the decks that we feature it in, maybe it will get smart on how to do it itself. But in the meantime, we'll just continue to use it as a resource to inspire and begin the ideas and thoughts of campaigns and so forth. And please, nobody feed the decks to the AI. All right. So moving on to a double feature that featured prominently in memes, collaborations, and everything in between to a point where we were all seeing pink. Natalie, please take us through some of the marvel that was Barbenheimer. Yes. So I think marketers everywhere will be pointing to Barbenheimer as a reason to take their brand management and advertising seriously. I mean, personally, Daniel, like you mentioned, like we're seeing pink everywhere. I've seen the most Barbie and Oppenheimer content as I'm scrolling through LinkedIn and like my fellow marketers talking about the impact that Barbenheimer has had kind of on just like marketing generally. But Barbenheimer is a phenomenon beginning on social media, celebrating and chronicling the dual release of the Barbie movie and Oppenheimer on July 21st. We saw this kind of gear up in the weeks leading to the release of the films. I'll focus first on kind of like Barbenheimer itself. We saw the development of memes, Daniel, like you mentioned, highlighting the juxtaposition of tonality of the two films used broadly across social. We saw users sharing their Barbie and Oppenheimer looks and how they could easily turn their outfit for one movie into an outfit for another for back-to-back viewings. But shifting to look at Barbie and the robust marketing plan that they put into place specifically, we saw an amazing amount of brand partnerships and brands looking to kind of align with the movie, all kind of taking place and shared on social, from Heineken to 
Crocs to Duolingo, many brands were looking at where their kind of ownable space was in this Barbie sphere. We saw the use of visual AI and marketing efforts and an incredible amount of UGC generated separately from simply kind of chronicling the experience of viewing the movie. I think we can look at Barbenheimer as an amazing case for reactive media and the power of a comprehensive campaign plan across industries. In the film industry, I think there's a pretty predictable formula for how marketing is handled leading to the release of a film, with some occasionally breaking that mold, but none that we've seen break it the way that Barbie has. I hope to see many films kind of following Barbie's suit in the marketing realm, but more than that, I think we can see this as a reason to be innovative in how we're communicating with brand audiences and just a reason to continuously generate a personal tie to brands. Agreed. Natalie, I'm curious, was there, in doing the research and kind of reliving the summer that was Barbie, any of those collaborations that kind of stood out to you as like a smart, innovative use of brand and maybe, I mean, Heineken sounds insane for them to to talk about Barbie. So just curious if there was any that stood out to you. That's one of my favorites, just because they took like literally just their name, Heineken, and like you know, cut it off at the, at the Ken part and put that on a billboard. Like, I think that that's just so clever and straight to the point. There was also an out-of-home example of, like, just kind of a pink billboard with, like, the release date. And it's just that whenever there's a clear, immediate tie, I think we're all suckers for that and just really, really cool and unique. Totally. Not saying hi, Ken. Hi, Barbie. Alex, what was... Was there a particular element of this Barbenheimer campaign that you were, like... I envy this. I wish I could have done this with another brand or I wish I could have thought about this and applied this. Yeah, absolutely. This is definitely going to be a slice of the zeitgeist that we will talk about for the rest of our careers. There'll be many of us who said, I did something for Barbie. And those of us that will say, God, I wish I did. But to Natalie's point, really hope that there will be more opportunities in the future for us to learn from and activate on, whether it be a movie, another big moment, or just something we create within our own brands. But being in verticals like tourism, like food and beverage, there's always a lot of points where you wish you could have pointed more. I think for a tourism account that I work on, for Vegas, we did a lot of really great reactive moments and being able to see where Barbie moments, either from the development or from the release, apply to us, as well as how to bring those learnings into things like the summer content series or other premieres that will happen in the city. Yeah, I totally agree. And I also, I'm, I'm hopeful in the same vein as you both that all of the kind of opinion pieces that we saw on LinkedIn of this is how I do advertising, that marketers were listening and hearing and recognizing that, yes, you shouldn't just invest wildly. But if you invest with intent, I think there was a crazy set of like more was spent on marketing than the movie itself, but it also generated a billion dollars. So there really is something to that formula of really investing, leaning in and being a little fearless with innovation that hopefully makes this not a a shot in the pan or whatever the expression is that it only happens once. I hope we see this a lot more. Speaking of things, though, that we may or may not see, and I don't know where my opinion is on if I want to see this. Alex, round us out with the bout that may or may not happen between Musk and Zuck. Is this all just smoke or are we going to see them in the cage ring? Mm, The hottest topic of the summer. So for context, the two biggest guys in social, Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk, have been very publicly open to duking it out on their platform. So challenging each other to a literal cage match 
fighting nothing online the way they've been doing for years, just truly man against man in a cage or in the Coliseum. It's still yet to be confirmed. But the latest update is that they are up to doing it, but looking to have a donation aspect to it, specifically for donating to veterans that is close to Mark Zuckerberg's foundation. Everything is up in the air, but Mark Zuckerberg is a trained fighter and has been really showing off the pecs, abs. It sounds weird to even say when we're talking about Mark Zuckerberg all over social media to really show off a little bit and show Elon what he's dealing with. But Musk is also going right back and asking to train with UFC fighters and trainers, putting his money not where his mouth is quite yet, but it is all meant to be seen. The big underlying piece for us, though, is that, as we talk about with Barbie as well, toxic masculinity sucks. But we're trying to do great. It does double down a lot of how we continuously see executives as celebrities and what do we do within the industry, within those that are interacting with their pages to help bring them down a peg. Totally. And I, I think to your earlier point, they've been kind of duking it out for years. Obviously, most recent memory, the introduction of threads as Twitter was becoming X and there was all of the drama with that. But I'm curious to the other point about toxic masculinity, about leader as celebrity and what that sort of implies or imports for a brand that they are in fact representing. Natalie, do you think that this is doing anything to improve or harm credibility either from consumers or market? Or is this just kind of another salacious celebrity topic of interest? Yeah, I mean, look, like obviously we never condone violence or anything here, but watching them, you know, how they've interacted is there's a big entertainment piece to it and also just comes with like a major eye roll. <laughs> Personally, Alex, I think you make a great point on us viewing these leaders as as kind of these celebrity figures. But to go onto your respective platforms and and basically incite violence is, is just kind of immature. So I think maybe we need to leave some of that talk in the boardroom and not bring it out into the <laughs> this public sphere. Amazing. We sure did experience quite a bit this summer, and there may be more to come, although I think our collective opinion is we hope we don't see the fight that was. Also, I suppose I'm not so sad that summer is coming to a close after all of these things that we've reflected upon because we have experienced and seen a lot. And aside from the fight that we hope doesn't happen, we have probably quite a bit to look forward to this fall. And if you don't already, be sure to follow us, share us, like us, review us, or write to us with your questions, comments, concerns, points of interest, or complaints, or just send us a thing you want us to talk about. You can do all of that by emailing us at podcasts at gray.com. Of course, I want to thank our esteemed panel today, Alex and Natalie, a special shout out to Joey Scarillo. And as always, a special big thanks to Samantha Geller, Amanda Fuentes, and the crew at Gramercy Park Studios behind the scenes. As a PSA, we will be taking next week off in observance of Labor Day, but look out the following weeks for some special episodes to come. 
We have officially wrapped season four of Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas where hosts Jason Connor and our Gray colleagues chatted with some pretty amazing guests with great ideas from Broadway actor Jesse Mueller, chef Akshay Bardwaj. I am certain there will be one, if not all of these guests and conversations that you will find interesting and inspiring for your work or life. You can find Gray Matter, a podcast about ideas, wherever you find this podcast. Well, that about does it for us. Thank you, listener. And please, as always, be social. The Five Things are written and researched by the Social and Connections team at Gray New York, produced by Joey Scarillo and Samantha Geller. Mixed at Gramercy Park Studios by Amanda Fuentes and Guy Rosemarin, with post-production support from Ned Martin. Additional support by Christina Hyde and Adrian Hopkins. Gray is a global creative agency whose mission is putting famously effective ideas into the world. Check out more at gray.com.